But today I want to look at revival that took place. There's revival that took place in Nehemiah's time, 444 B.C. There was a, a, a revival, and we read about it in chapters 9 through 13 in, in the book of Nehemiah. And in the, the book, or the chapter 10 of Nehemiah, we see what took place as a result of some of the things that they were doing in coming and drawing close to the Lord. So I want us to begin today in chapter 10 and read what they did. They established a covenant with God. They signed a covenant and sealed it. In uh, verse 28, now the, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, and the singers, and the, and the Nethanim, now the Nethanim were those that had been dedicated to serve um, there in the temple to take some of the responsibility off of the Levites. And it says, And all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God. They separated themselves from the peoples of the other lands, those that worshipped idols, and they separated themselves unto God's word. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding. These joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. The word there, curse, that's translated curse, it, it literally meant that they were placing themselves and they said, we understand if we don't fulfill what we're promising right now, that judgment can come upon us. They were going to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God. That's, a, that's an amazing covenant that they were saying. They're saying, Lord, I'm not going to go 50%. I'm not going to go 90%. I'm not going to go 99%. I'm going to be sold out for you and what you want for my life. And the Lord and His ordinances and His statutes. We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of, of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. They were told not to intermarry, because if they intermarried, then the, the sons and the daughters of those that were worshiping idols would bring that idol worship into Israel. And so God had warned them that, that they had done that. So now they're making a fresh commitment, a covenant to God. We're going to separate ourselves and not allow idolatrous worship to come into our, our nation. Then verse 31, If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath. So now they're going to honor the Sabbath of God. Apparently, they had gotten away from honoring the Sabbath and worshiping God, and they were doing business transactions on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we, were, we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. Also, we made ordinance for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. So in this passage, the people signed a covenant that said they would serve God totally. They would support God's work financially. They would cleanse themselves from all filthiness. 
and they would not intermarry with idolaters and that they would honor the Sabbath. Those things stick out. And those are the areas that they're addressing specifically because those were the areas that as a nation they had definitely come to fail in. But as we look at this, I want us to go back to chapter 9. This is not only considered a revival in the time of Israel in the Old Testament, but it's also considered one of the greatest revivals that we read about in the Old Testament. And how many of us today, I think all of us, would say, Lord, do it again? Amen? This revival affected large families. It affected um, the nobles. It, it affected Nehemiah. That he signed it. And, and the other nobles and the, the priests. And, and it went on down. And it affected the entire nation. How many of us would say, we need a revival that doesn't just affect our, our next generation in the schools, but we need a vo- revival that would impact those that are in government leadership, just like this revival. Amen? We need a revival that would spread and affect every part of our nation and every, every family in our nation. And that's what happened in this great revival in the Old Testament. Now, when we think about revival, some people say, well, what did they do before that God moved in such a powerful way? And I want us to look at that today. Now, I'm not telling you there is a formula to revival because God is sovereign and we cannot force God to move. (laughs) But we can humble ourselves. We can do things to draw close to Him. We can create an atmosphere where we're hungry and we desire revival and an atmosphere like they did where God did bring revival. Are you with me? So I think it's worth studying what they did. And there are seven things, that words that stick out. Look at chapter 9. Now on the verse 1, chapter 9. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. They were humbling themselves. They were repenting. Verse 2, then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of a day and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Now there's several things in those three verses that are powerful. And one of the things, notice when they were repenting and confessing their sins and iniquities, it says also that they confessed the sins of their fathers. That's powerful. We see that in the beginning of Nehemiah. Nehemiah cries out to God and he confesses and repents of his own sin, but he repents for the sin that had taken place in Israel that brought God's judgment. And I think it's perfectly fine for us to do that today and say, Lord, we repent on behalf of our nation, our forefathers, and the sins of our nation because we desire a move of God. Amen? 
Now, revival is the revitalizing of all parts of the body of Christ so that the ministry life of Jesus can flow unobstructed to the lost, to the hurting, and to the needy. That's a simple definition of what revival is. And I want us to look at these uh, few words, these seven words today, and I want us to think about them. And first of all, I want us to think about assembling. They called for everyone to come. They assembled themselves together. Now, that was not uncommon for them to do that. They would assemble together other times at other feasts or other times they would call for different things. They would call the people together. And they would come together with a purpose. It's not just coming together in the same place, but it's coming together with the same heart, the same mindset, coming together in unity and calling out to God. There's a, there's a verse in Hebrews that I quote quite often. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. In that verse, I'm going to read parts of both verses. It says, let us consider one another not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as we see the day approaching. The phrase, as we see the day approaching, speaks of the return of Jesus. And it's saying the closer we get to the return of Jesus, the more we need to assemble ourselves together and encourage one another and challenge one another and bless one another and come together in agreement for God's plan and God's purpose. Amen? There's a spiritual dynamic that takes place when God's people come together. God has said where two or three agree Come together, I'm there in the midst of them. Amen? We're two or three. So imagine what happens when we get a large crowd together with one heart and one purpose. Now I am thankful for technology. Sometimes I get frustrated at it. Sometimes I want to pick my computer up and throw it out the window. But I appreciate technology. And I'm thankful that today... On average, there's over 140 people that watch online every Sunday with us. When Mitch preaches, it goes up to about 300. I don't know what that's about, but that's what Yuri told me, so I'm going with it. And I know that we have some as far away as Pakistan that watch every Sunday. I know that we have some, I've, I've, I've had people in Japan or in, in Asia and other places that watch. I know that we have some in Ireland that watch every Sunday. I know that we have some in Texas that watch every Sunday. I know that we have uh, some that, that live in southeast Alaska or other parts of Alaska that watch every Sunday. And I'm thankful for that. But, but church, if, there are also a large number that live right here in the valley that always watch online. And I know it's tempting to sit there on the couch in your PJs and go to church and sip your coffee. But there is a spiritual dynamic that takes place that we cannot deny when God's people come together. And I know that some, it's a long distance and they don't have maybe gas money or, or the roads are bad or maybe they're sick and I understand those things. 
But church, God's Word tells us to assemble, and He tells us where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. So there's a spiritual dynamic that takes place when God's people come together. Amen? So they assembled together, and they assembled together believing that God was going to show up and in power. In David, in, in Psalm 63, I just used this verse not too long ago. In chapter 2, he said, So I have looked, in, looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. So David, when he would come into the temple, the the house of the Lord, he was looking for God's presence. He was expecting God to manifest his power and his glory in his life. And church, we shouldn't expect anything less than what David did. Because God's no respecter of persons. You believe that? He's no respecter of persons. So when we come, we need to have, and we assemble together, we need to have that heart. Lord, I'm believing you're going to show up in power. I'm believing I'm going to experience your glorious presence in this house. Great things happen when our church comes together. But you can, church, you can come together physically and still not be together in, in unity in your mind and in your heart. In fact, Acts chapter 2 verse 1, it talks about the church coming together and it says, we're all with one accord. And that's one word in the original language. It's homothumadon. And I've talked about this for years. But we're, we've got new people and they may not know what homothumadon means. Homothumadon means that unity, coming together in that unity of mind, but the word thumos is a root word for homothumadon, and thumos has to do, church, with temperature, with degrees. That's where we get our words thermostat or thermometer originates from that word. And so what it is saying there, it's not just coming with a mental understanding, church, that we're coming together in unity, it's coming together with passion from your heart. Are you with me? It's coming with passion. God never intended the church to be passionless. And He never intended for the church to be dry and dead. Amen? I don't want to have a dead church. I don't want to be part of a dead church. I want to be like David and say, Lord, when I come into your house, I want to see your power and your glory. I want to come with a heart that's expecting. I want to come with brothers and sisters in Christ that join together, not just mentally and not just physically, but in the same passionate heart, saying, God, move. The next word I want you to look at is fasting. How many like to fast? Oh, there are a couple of people. I want to shake your hand after church. Most of us don't like to fast. But I love the results of fasting. Amen? He called them to fast. And and on the Day of Atonement, they had planned a time of fasting and sacrifice. And the people would dress in sackcloth and humble themselves before the Lord. 
And he called a time like that in this passage. There was weeping, there was confession, there was repenting. And Nehemiah called for such a fast. He felt it was needed to remind all the people who God was and what he wanted to do. In church, every year we start off with fasting. But there are also times, I've been fasting uh, for long, for, since this year started actually, because as soon as I stopped my, my New Year's fast, I started fasting for the trip to Pakistan. And I'm not fasting to lose weight. That really doesn't work that well. But I'm fasting because it's humbling ourselves before the Lord. It's saying, God, I need you more than I need the sustenance to keep this body alive. It's saying, God, I want you more than Rocky Road ice cream. Lord, I want you more than a big Texas steak. Lord, I want you more than halibut. Fried halibut. Some of you are getting hungry. I can see it on your face. But it's saying, God, I need you more than anything in this world, including the food that sustains my life. And God, I want you more. So we fast. And we pray and we humble ourselves. He called such a fast. They were pulling away from their daily duties. And in the fast, they would repent thoroughly and they would pray fervently. And they would ask God for revival in the nation. Church, I'm believing God for great things. Tuesday in our intercessor group, um, our intercessors found out that this Tuesday I had a pastor's event in Anchorage and I wasn't going to be able to make it. And so they wanted to pray for me for my Pakistan trip. And I said, sure, I need all the prayer I can get. So they, they gathered around me and they were praying and Austri was praying. And Austri began to give me a word from the Lord. And she said, you're going to see God do greater things in Pakistan than you can even imagine. She said, God's anointing is going to be on you. His presence is going to be greater than you've ever experienced. And then she went on and she said, and when you come back, that same anointing is going to be upon you. And she said, that same anointing is going to be upon you for the rest of your life. And I said, Lord, I want that. I want you more than anything. I want to see thousands of people give their heart to Jesus while I'm in Pakistan. I want to see hundreds and thousands of people receive their healing, whether it's emotional or spiritual or physical. 
And I want you to pray while I'm gone. I'm going to be here next Sunday, but next Monday after that, I'm going to be flying to Pakistan. And God has opened a tremendous door for our, our church family that we can go and, and we're, we're helping. We, we help them raise funds for a, a brand new water filtration system in Karachi and Pastor Hebron. And God's doing great things. They called it living water. And from all over, I'm going to, I'll send you some pictures back. I'm going to sample it when I get there. And, but they have young boys carrying big jugs of water and coming and, you know, filling up. And when they do, every person that comes in, they're telling them about the living water. They're telling them about Jesus. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 58, we have the great Old Testament uh, chapter on fasting. If you want to know more about what God said about fasting, He calls them to a fast. You can read about it in Isaiah 58. And in that fast, He says, this is my fast. And then He says, it's a fast that breaks the spiritual bondage. He says later that in that same chapter, it's a fast that brings healing. It's a fast for righteousness to begin to flow in your community. It's a fast for protection and for God to bring the answer that you need. All those things are contained in that chapter that has to do with fasting. So fasting makes a tremendous difference in our lives. Amen? And I better hurry. Separated. Separated unto God. That's the third word I want you to see. There's a time that we need to befriend and be around sinners we need to be the light and be the salt we need to bring flavor of Jesus to their lives and the light of Jesus across the world and we can't do that without getting out among people that don't know Jesus amen so we all agree on that but church there's also a time that we need to separate ourselves solely unto God, and like Mary, I talked about it last week, sit at the feet of Jesus and hear His words in His presence, being built up and strengthened, then it's time to go out and serve. We'll never accomplish what God wants us to outside of coming and separating ourselves and being in His presence. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And this verse advocates the separating of ourselves from worldly thoughts, worldly actions, and worldly attitudes and focusing just on Jesus, just on His Word, just on the things that God desires to do. We must separate ourselves unto the Lord Jesus. He separated Himself unto the Father. Look at this. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. So he, speaking of Jesus, he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Church, never neglect alone time with Jesus. Because every one of us need it. The fourth thing, they stood. And you think, well, what does standing have to do with revival? Well, think about it. It's significant that the people as one body stood 
out of respect for God. It's, it speaks of their respect for the Lord. They were standing, honoring God. And they were honoring His Word. They were hearing His Word. They were concerned about hearing the Word of God and obeying the Word of God. So they gave Him their full attention. They were ter- determined not to leave that place until the presence of God worked in their lives. How many have ever witnessed a football game in the very last moments and it's a close game and it can go either way? And the entire stadium, nobody's sit- seated. Everybody's standing cheering and jumping up and down for their teams, wanting to see what's going to happen. Well, that's kind of what was going on here, except they were excited about God and what God was going to do and hearing God's Word. So they stood in reverence. Our nation as a whole has gotten away from reverencing God. And church, we need to teach our children and our grandchildren how to respect God, how to reverence Him, how to honor Him, that He's worthy of all our respect. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Without the fear of God, there is no wisdom. Not divine wisdom. We need to understand, and our nation has drifted away from reverencing and having a fear of God. So it's time for the church to say, Lord, bring back that reverence and that fear of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Three times... In in that passage of Scripture, it tells us to stand. And this standing isn't in reverence of God, but it's telling us to stand, to stand against the enemy. Listen to it again. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so we're suited up in the armor of God, that you may be able to withstand. So it's declaring war. It's preparing to fight the enemy. It's getting all your armor on that God's promised us and going forth and saying, I'm going to stand against what's happening in my time, what the enemy's doing today. He says, withstand in the evil day. Church, you don't need to go hide your head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend that this world isn't struggling with the, the demonic powers of hell. Some people want to do that. Church, as the body of Jesus Christ, we have the full armor of God. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. And God calls us to stand in the evil day, not to give in. He goes on and he says, and having done all to stand. In other words, we're preparing to be able to stand in the evil day. We're preparing because we're reading God's Word. We're fasting. We're spending time 
in his presence, we're doing the things that draw to help us draw closer to the Lord and help empower us and encourage us so that when those days come, we're going to continue to stand. And then in verse 14, it says, after having done all to stand, stand therefore. In other words, we're not going to give up. Amen? Christians aren't called to give in and to give up. That's one thing I love about the people of Pakistan because there is persecution there. It is dangerous to be a Christian. They bulldoze entire Christian villages in some parts of Pakistan. They put them on trial for blasphemy when they haven't said anything just because they're Christian. They won't hire them because they're Christian. But the church there is doing all they can to stand. Why? Because they've experienced the presence and the power of the true and the living God. They know it's real. Amen? God transformed their hearts and lives. And they're praying. I got a video this week. I think I put it up on our, on our uh, Summit uh, Facebook page. But it was pastors that were gathered together praying for the crusades. And they were fervently praying, passionately praying, coming together. They know that the only hope for Pakistan is Jesus. And church, we need to have that same passion. Amen? The next word is confessed. How does confession work in creating an atmosphere? Confession... It's interesting, in the Asbury Revival, one of the young men came up onto the platform in the early stages of the revival, and he began to confess that he had failed God. And everyone that was there at that time said there was just a shift, a spiritual shift that they experienced and felt when that young man did that. The Bible tells us In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now that passage in the context, it's not saying that we're going to have a testimony service and we're going to get up and everybody's going to Tell everybody else what our sins are today. That's not what the context of that passage is. The context of that passage, church, is this. They were calling upon the elders of the church. They needed healing. So there are things in our lives that we can't overcome on our our own if there's strongholds in our lives And we need to confess that to one of our spiritual elders in confidence and pray and believe together that God's going to bring healing to that situation. That's what it's talking about. But they came together and they began to confess their sins to God. And I believe humble confession is certainly important in setting the stage or the atmosphere for revival. Next is the word read. They read the book of the law. 
Now, reading and revival, that doesn't sound like it really goes together. A lot of, how many of you struggle in reading the Bible? Yeah, we've got some honest people in here. How about the passages where it says, and so-and-so begets so-and-so, and so-and-so begets so-and-so. And you don't know how to pronounce all of those names. And you're thinking, why on earth did God put this in, the, in His Word? How, what relevance does it have in my life? It's historical. It's showing that God was in control generation after generation after generation. It was showing us every one of those people have a story and that God came, He sent His Son for every one of those people. So it, it, it shows us historically that this is God working through the generations. But sometimes we still struggle. But church, that's why when we began this year, I felt a strong impression from the Lord that I was to do a series on getting back in the Word, putting God's Word as, as important in our hearts and lives, reading through the Word of God this year. And I challenge you to continue, read through the entire Word of God this year. In 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 17, 19, 20, and 21, I'm going to read portions of that. Now, when they brought out the money that was brought unto the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded, go inquire of the Lord for me. It's the story of Josiah. Can you imagine Israel losing God's word? Oh, I misplaced it. What happened to it? They had drifted away from God so far, no one cared about the Word. The Word wasn't being read. In those days, everyone didn't have a scroll with God's Word. They were very expensive. There were many scrolls that it would take to contain the Word of God. And so they drifted away and they got to the point where they had lost God's Word. But the, it was found and it was taken to King Josiah and jo Josiah had them read the Word of God to him. And, and guess what? It, God began to deal with his heart. He realized he wasn't living according to the Word of God, that they weren't going to experience the blessings of God because they were out of line with the Word. So a, a great Revival takes place, and Josiah leads that. We see in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, where an Ethiopian eunuch was reading the Word, and, and Philip is translated. He comes, and Philip begins to tell this eunuch what he is reading, and he enables him to understand it, and he gets saved. In Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching, and he quotes the book of Joel, that talks about God pouring out His Spirit. And He says, what you see here, what you hear here, this is the fulfillment. God has begun to pour out His Spirit. And guess what? 3,000 souls came to the Lord. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus Himself quotes the Word in the book of Isaiah. And He says, I'm the fulfillment of, of this passage out of Isaiah. He's telling them, I am the Messiah. 
But instead of a revival that time, they got mad at him, wanted to push him over a cliff. And church, those two things are going to happen when, you, when people hear the Word of God. Their hearts are either going to be hardened and they're going to reject it and they're going to push it away and they're going to be mad at who's ever delivering it. Believe me, I experienced that. I was talking to Darren about it this week. And he said, Pastor, you just need to tell him, I'm just the messenger, I didn't write it. But I preach on tough t- subjects. I preach, I do my best to preach the whole counsel of God. And there are some tough things that our culture does not like today. And when I preach on those tough things, it's either going to melt hearts and they're going to say, yes, I need to get in line with the Word of God, or they're going to stand up and walk out and never come back. Because the Word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces into the very core of our being and it separates what's eternal and what's finite. The next worship and the final word I want us to look at is worship. When I came nine years ago, the district encouraged me to change the name of the church because there had been some things in the the community that the church kind of had a bad name. And I hate that. But I gathered together those that were here and I said, let's pray about a new name. And we prayed and and we we came up with several and and the, the body voted on summit because summit, the summit of a mountain is where heaven and earth meets. And we wanted this place to be a place where heaven and earth meets. Summit is also the pinnacle. It's the highest point. And we want to reach as a body of believers the highest point that we can in our walk with God on this earth. Amen? But the second part, we didn't name it just Summit Church. There was a heart for worship among the people. And they said, Lord, we want to be a center of worship for you. So that's how we came up with Summit Worship Center. We don't want to worship anything but Jesus. We're not going to worship a pastor, a a worship leader, a, a worship team. We're not going to worship a denomination. We're going to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lily of the valley, and the bright morning star. We're going to worship Jesus. And we're not going to be ashamed. We we don't come in formal worship. Worship through the years can take on a formality that hinders it from being in the heart. You can learn the song and just speak the words without it being an expression of your heart. But if you want to establish an atmosphere for the, for the presence and the power and the glory of God to move, it's got to be worship from your heart. Genuine worship. Worshiping in spirit and truth, Jesus said. And it can take on different forms. It can be intensive prayer. It can be shouting unto God with a voice of triumph. It can be singing. 
It can be victorious testimonies. There's many ways that we worship, but it's coming from a genuine place in your heart where God's first and you're wanting to draw close to Him. You're worshiping Him. You understand the importance of that. Amen? In concluding, all of these words tell a story about people that wanted God to move in their nation. And I'm not saying that there's a formula, but I'm saying these are ways that they were drawing close. And God has told us when we draw close to Him, He will draw close to us. Psalm 22 in verse 3 says, God inhabits the praises of His people. So when you have a heart that's genuine and you begin to praise Him, He says, I'm going to be there. In the original language, the idea is to be enthroned. And when God is enthroned, church, His power, we're coming to the throne of God. His power is manifested. It's saying, God, I want your power to come and to overrule a king rules from his throne. And we're saying, Lord, whatever's going on in my life, when I praise you, I am welcoming you to come into my life and overrule that situation. Amen. I want the worship team to come. I want you to stand with me and we're going to close. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How many believe God can bring revival to Alaska? We need a revival just like this. Where the leaders in our government are transformed and begin to pursue God with all their heart. We need a revival that touches every family. The people in our nation can't get away from it. They're either going to hear the Word of God and run and reject it, or they're going to be transformed by it. And if God did it in 444 B.C., God can do it in 2023. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer team if they would come and gather around the auditorium. And if you have a prayer need today, I want you to step out and come and meet them at the point of that need. Or if you just want to come and pray, you can come and find a place at the altar and just kneel or stand by yourself. But I'm going to ask you, if revival was up to your personal heart and your personal desire, Is your personal heart and your personal desire drawing and welcoming God and desiring and praying for God to move?
because it begins with us as individuals. And it spreads to the body when we all come in line with that same heart, with that same thought. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we know without any doubt that we need a move of God. Our nation is hurting. Our nation is reeling. Lord, we need a mighty move of God in our day. Lord, and we see where you met Israel in such a powerful way. Lord, give us leaders like Nehemiah. Give us priests that come like those that we read about. Lord, that we're ready to sign that covenant. That we're praying. That we're assembling together. Lord, that we're humbling themselves. That we're fasting. Lord, help us to create an atmosphere. Lord, that you can't resist. <laughs> Lord, that's my prayer. Lord, I want to create a personal atmosphere around my life, Lord, that you can't resist. Lord, help us to create that atmosphere right here. Lord, we want to move. We want you to move. Lord, we have family that don't know Jesus. We have friends, Lord, and family that are running from you. We have those friends and family that are bound, Lord, by things of the world that need freedom. Lord, there's so many people, Lord, right here that need to hear about the love and the life of Jesus. They need to encounter the presence of the true and the living God. So, Lord, do it again. Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you next time. And don't forget, you can support us by giving through the Church Center app or by going online at summitwc.com give.